Revelation chapter number 20. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection." Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know what my needs are tonight. Lord, my heart's desire is to preach to your people with unction and power that comes only from heaven so that the glory could only be due towards heaven and towards your Son. Father, you know that I need help tonight. I want to be obedient to you. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to mortify my flesh and the deeds thereof, and I pray you'd help me to hide behind the shadow of your cross. Father, that men would see only Jesus Christ tonight, and that he alone would receive the glory. Lord, you know what each heart needs in this place. So, Father, we, we do our best to be obedient to you, trusting that you'll meet those needs. Father, I'm asking you tonight, I'm not preach praying at them, Lord. I'm asking you tonight, Father, to do in hearts that which only you can. And we'll be sure to give you the glory and the praise for it. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
Revelation chapter number 20 presents to us probably the most somber scene in all of the Word of God. I don't know much of what to say tonight except to give you the handful of thoughts that God has placed upon my heart in the last few minutes. You see, as you read Revelation chapter number 20, you find the culmination of the matter for the lost individual. We have before us a scene that is known as the great white throne judgment. As you read the Word of God, you'll find that just as there are two resurrections spoken of, we read that a moment ago, Now I do believe in two resurrections. I don't believe in a general resurrection. I believe in two distinct scriptural resurrections, one unto life and one unto damnation. One for those that have been born again, and one for those that are Christ rejectors that have never put their faith in Him. But more importantly than me believing that, the Bible teaches it, so we ought to accept it. Just as there are two resurrections spoken of in the Word of God, I would say that there are at least two judgments spoken of of the individual in the Word of God. Just as there is a resurrection for those that have been born again, Paul speaks of a uh, a judgment seat for those that have been born again as well. Some call it the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says to believers that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That day's coming for you, and it's coming for me. If we've been born again, we'll stand before Jesus Christ one day. Now, I understand that that's not a very popular subject, but listen to what Paul said about it. He said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Now, I think sometimes, and I hinted at this a moment ago, you know, we look forward to the Lord coming back. And I believe that even after we've met the judgment seat of Christ, it's still going to be a lot better after He's come back than it is here, for sure. But there's a lot of us going to have a lot to answer for that day. I'm going to have a lot to answer for. You're probably going to have a lot to answer for. I don't walk in your shoes and I don't live your life, but I can tell you about this preacher right here. He's going to have a lot to answer for in that day. You say, preacher, you're telling on yourself. No, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you, every one of us. Uh, you know what the Bible says about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament? I'm keenly aware that the phrase, the day of the Lord, is a theological dispensational uh, phrase that refers not to the uh, rapture and to the first coming of Jesus Christ, but it refers to the uh, coming in power and in glory and in majesty that's spoken of in Revelation 19. I'm aware of that. But I think for the believer that that phrase, the day of the Lord, has just as, as much impact for the rapture as it does for the glorious appearing because you and I are going to be raptured up out of this world. And concerning God's prophetic calendar, uh, it, it's almost as though chronologically they'd be one and the same for us because we're taken out of the picture at the moment of the rapture. We're raptured up into heaven, into the presence of God. Uh, so for us, it could almost be a synonymous thought. You know what the Bible says in the Old Testament? It says, woe unto them that desire the day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. I know there was a group for a long time in this country saying that we're just going to utopian away all of our problems. And I'm not going to go off on a rant. I got to do that the other day about this. But just suffice it to say that they thought the day of the Lord was when we was going to evangelize all the lost folks out of the world and set up a one-world church and a council of churches. Oh, there'll be a one-world church set up one of these days. But it's not going to be the church of Jesus Christ. It's going to be the church of the Antichrist, the Bible teaches. 
We're not going to utopian this thing away. No, the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. It's a time of judgment. It's a time of judgment upon the house of Israel and a time of judgment upon this world that has rejected Jesus Christ. We're all going to appear before Him if we're born again at that judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the uh, things done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. But then there's a second judgment spoken of in the Word of God, and we've read about it tonight, known as the great white, judge, uh, great white throne judgment. It presents to us the judgment of the lost individual. In the same way that we're not going to spend all of eternity in heaven, I don't know if I'll upset you or not tonight preaching this, but it's truth, man. If you get upset at truth, you're just going to have to be upset. I understand that the Word of God teaches we won't be spending eternity in heaven. We'll be spending eternity uh, upon a new heaven and a a new earth the Bible speaks about here in uh, chapter number 21. We'll read it for you here in a second. It's on that page in black and white. Don't get nervous. And in the same way that heaven is somewhat of a holding place in the presence of God until we find ourselves uh, seated with Him upon this earth throughout all of eternity, in the same way the Bible teaches that hell is a waiting place uh, for the lost individual, not a purgatory, mind you, not a purgatory where they're trying to work themselves out of hell through their good works, but a holding place until they stand before the great white throne judgment, after which the Bible teaches that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire along with the lost individual. We okay? You still my friend? I hope so. Because it's Bible tonight. That's the scene that we have before us. It is a scene that is awesome in the very essence of the word awesome. Not awesome like we have a tendency to use it. We say everything's awesome. I'm as guilty as you are, but really what the word awesome means is it it, it strikes a sense of awe in an individual, strikes them speechless, unable to comment upon a matter. And if we could just grasp, if in our mind's eye we could take ourselves to that scene, and I don't expect any of us to be able to faithfully do so, and see the magnitude of the throne, the magnitude of the judgment, the magnitude of the crisis of this situation, it would strike us speechless to see this scene before us. A place where heaven and earth have fled away because the righteous, holy face of God has bid them so do. A place where the individual has no excuses. I would say to you tonight that at the great white throne judgment, there are no appeals. At the great white throne judgment, uh, there is no postponement of sentence. At the great white throne judgment, there is no mistrial. When this day comes, the lost individual will stand before a righteous and holy God whether he likes to admit it or not. This is a scene, the magnitude of which cannot be comprehended. You can almost see it in the simplistic language that God uses. And you say, well, I thought John. Well, yeah, John pinned it down, but this is the Word of God, is it not? Holy and inspired, God-breathed Word of God that we have before us. These are the words that God chose to convey this. And in these simplistic words, think about it. Think From whose face heaven and earth fled away. I, I, listen, I was going to preach this here in a minute, but do you know that you find the last use of the word earth pertaining to the old earth in verse number 9? Look at it. It's right there in front of you. And then the Bible says, down in verse number 11, from whose face heaven and earth fled away. And you won't find the old earth mentioned anywhere else in the Word of God. You go over to chapter 21. That's the next mention of the word earth. And John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth in verse number 1. 
The Bible teaches us there'll come a day when the elements shall melt with fervent heat and God will destroy this sin-cursed world. And it's in this moment when they flee away from the face of God. You say, how holy is God? God's holy enough that if He was to unbridle the effect of His holiness on this world, it would literally destroy everything that's been touched by sin. And one day He will. The scene before us is one of great magnitude. Can I say a word about the sovereign that's seated upon the throne? Now, we can fuss and feud and fight about it like good Baptists if you want to, but I'm preaching, so I'll tell you what I believe about this. The Bible says that all judgment is committed unto the Son. I believe it's Jesus Christ seated upon that throne. Now, you don't have to believe that if you don't want, and then again, you can be wrong if you want to. Because all judgment is delivered up unto Him. Isn't that proper? The rejected Christ has now become the rejecting Christ. The one who's been trampled upon is now the one who gives forth the sentence. The one who has been cast out from the presence of sinners is now the one casting out sinners from his own presence. There will be no excuses on that day. Let me tell you something, friend. There will be no blasphemy on that day. We live in a world that hates God. If you don't believe that, turn on the news. We live in a world, He came under His own, the Bible said, and His own received Him not. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This world has always hated Him. But on that day, the lost sinner will have no blasphemies to utter forth. The lost sinner will have no excuses to utter forth. He stands before one whose unbridled holiness is enough to devour anything. He stands before one whose righteousness shines forth brighter than the noonday sun. He stands before one uh, that the sheer awesomeness of his presence is enough to strike men dead. That's the man. That's the God before whom they're standing on this day. He is totally and entirely sovereign. He is totally and entirely in control. He's that now. How much more on that day? On that day, there'll be no mocking. There'll be no scorning. There'll be no scoffing. Men are scoffers right now. You may know lost folks that are scoffers. I do. I know lost individuals that all they do is spend their time scoffing and scorning and mocking and making fun of the Word of God and of the Son of God. And they, like that soldier we preached about this morning, are trying to strike a defiant blow uh, to Jesus Christ after our Lord uh, had already given up the ghost. The Bible says that that soldier thrust a spear in. And in the same way, that's their mantra and that's their motto in life, to mock and to make fun of and to scorn God. I'm not here to win any prizes. I'm not here to make friends and influence people. Tonight. I'm here to tell you the truth that on that day, there'll be no smart aleck responses. On that day, there'll be no philosophical questions. On that day, they'll stand before one whose awesome presence is enough to silence the scoffer's tongue, whose righteousness is enough uh, to abate the vehement hatred of the sinner. They'll stand before one that day who's occupying a throne from which he won't be removed. We see the sovereign that's there. What about the subjects that are there? The Bible says, I saw the dead, small and great. I think it's very important that God said small and great, don't you? There will be, be no excuses to not be there that day. My wife got called up for jury duty. And, uh, and, and, and I'm trying to be careful. I don't want to lighten the mood tonight. 
This don't need to be lightened. I'm, I'm, but we were looking at it, and uh, you know, on these forms for jury duty that you've been called up for, you can make this appeal and that appeal, and you can request a postponement, and you can give them reasons why you can't attend and why you can't be there. In the same way, even in criminal court cases, sometimes uh, the defendant uh, can give some type of excuse why they can't be there, why they can't make it to their court date. But on that day, I promise you, everybody who's lost without Christ will be there. They will be. Now, here's what I want you to grasp tonight. That lost child or that lost spouse or that lost mother or that lost father, the one that you love, they'll be there that day. That one that you've prayed for, if they don't accept Christ, they'll be there that day. They'll be there to be judged according to their works, the Bible says. You wonder why it says according to their works? Uh, Christ said, and I know people want to fuss and fight about this, and, and, and you can fuss about it if you want it. It makes no difference to me. But people say, well, you know, I think there's degrees of sin. I don't think there's degrees. Some people say, well, sin is sin. It makes me nervous, people that say, well, sin is sin. It makes me wonder how bad their sin is. Because Christ said that some will be beaten with many stripes and some will be beaten with few. Christ said this about some of the cities right there in Israel that had rejected him and his preaching, he said that it'll be better on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. I believe in degrees of sin. I absolutely do. That's why they'll be judged according to their works. Your lost loved ones will be there on that day. My lost loved ones will be there on that day. I, I, I shudder to say it, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure that if not, if not in this glimpse and moment of time, certainly in times past, uh, certainly in times future, if God allows, uh, uh, if God tarries His coming and allows us to continue on in the ministry, there will be folks whose name is on the roll of Walridge Baptist Church who will be there that day to be judged. I have no doubt about that. Now, I'm not... <laughs> I don't know any man's heart's condition. But I know that if Christ picked 12 and one of them was a devil, you get this number of Baptists together, there's a good chance that you've got a lost folk or two in here. I don't know. I don't know your heart. I'm just merely saying that on that day, every lost individual will be there to be judged. No matter what they think, no matter what they believed in this life, if they've rejected Jesus Christ, they'll be there on that day to stand judgment. We see the subjects that are there, but we see the substance of their judgment. The Bible says according to their works. The ultimate thing that they'll be cast into hell over is that they've rejected Jesus Christ. Their name's not written in the book of life. But that doesn't mean that they won't be judged for the things that they've done. I think if we had a better grasp of the darkness of our sin, we'd be more appreciative of Calvary. To know what God's forgiven us of. What God saved us from. You see, on that day, every little dark sin that they've committed, every single word will be brought into judgment. Every evil thought, every evil intent will be scrutinized, will be brought into the light, will be made manifest. Listen, if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, that little dirty sin that nobody knows about, it'll be brought to light that day. Those wicked thoughts that sometimes infect our minds and then we indulge, 
They'll be brought to light that day if we're lost without Christ. By the way, some of you say, oh, but preacher, I'm saved. They'll be brought to light at the judgment seat of Christ, too. Don't you worry. You say, oh, but I'm forgiven. Oh, I know you're forgiven. You're no longer a sinner if you've been born again. Now you're a servant. And you'll be judged as such. You'll be judged as such. The things, the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. We all like to think at the judgment seat of Christ that the only thing that we're going to be judged for is missed opportunities. I understand it's under the blood. That means God's not going to cast us into hell over those things. And they're forgiven. But that doesn't mean there's not an accountability to our Lord and Savior for the way that we've lived our lives at the judgment seat of Christ. And in the same way, at this great white throne judgment for every lost individual, every dark sin, every secret thought will be brought into the light to be judged in front of all men. That's the substance of the judgment. Have they accepted Christ? No, they've not, or else they wouldn't be here being judged. And how have they lived their lives? I do believe there's a difference. I do believe there's a difference between the person who dies in ignorance. We all like to think that the pygmies, you know, in in New Guinea, that, you know, they've never heard of Jesus' name, so they're obviously going to go to heaven. We can argue all we want, but the Bible says that there's none other name. None other name. The Bible tells us that creation itself bears witness. And I don't believe that the testimony of creation is enough for a person to be born again. They've got to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. But they're still accountable. They're still accountable. And I do believe there's a difference between the person that dies in ignorance and the person that is a deliberate Christ-hater. I do believe there's a difference between those two individuals. And on that day, everything that... You've done, if you're lost without Christ, every single thing that you've done will be brought into the light. We see the substance on that day. What's the standard on that day? The Bible says the books were open. The books were open. Now, I understand that some of those books, no doubt, are the books that bear record of the works that they've done. The book of life is open. And I believe that's speaking about a little re- a literal record that God has of every individual that is called upon Christ. I believe that. But I believe, too, that there is one standard by which men are judged, and it's the holy inspired Word of God. That book that men have oft hated, that book that men have sought to destroy, that book, and some folks say, well, I thought Christ was the standard. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld His glory like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I, I believe that my Bible's spotless just as I believe my Savior's spotless. That's not too complicated, is it? Uh, you see, I, I believe that if Christ could bear all the sins of humanity and His righteousness was enough that He resurrected from a grave, triumphantly victorious and spotlessly righteous, I don't believe men's hands can corrupt the Word of God. I believe God has enough foresight not just to inspire His Word, but to preserve it. I believe that we have the inspired Word of God today. And I believe we're going to be judged. The Bible says, you know, you hear folks say, one, one way you can tell if somebody is, is spiritual or not is if you say something about their life and the first thing that they say is, well, you know, the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. 
You know how you hush people like that? You know what you say to them? You say, thank you so much. Can you tell me where that's found? They get real quiet then. No, they're just polyparroting something that they've heard somebody else say that was trying to defend their wicked lifestyle. Because that verse says that with whatever measure uh, that you mete out judgment, it'll be meted unto you. When we judge righteous judgment according to the Word of God, we're not out of line. The spiritual man judgeth all things. We're commanded to judge ourselves and to be discerning and to be, dare I say it now, this go out on the Internet, somehow come padlock this door, but to be judgmental of other people too. Righteous judgment. Because, see, on that day, that's what men will be judged by is the Word of God. Like it or not, whether you believe it or not, that's still what you'll be judged by. Whether you've ever read it or not, that's still what you'll be judged by. That's the standard that day. Not the socially acceptable political correctness that society has stamped their rubber stamp of approval upon. That's not what you'll be judged according. We have, not, not, not the corrupt legal system that has festered in this country through God-hating politicians for 200 years. No, 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 no. That's not what you'll be judged. We have this idea that if it gets legalized, all of a sudden it's spiritualized. They, they can legalize all kinds of sin. That don't make it square with God. No, see, on that day, you'll be judged according to the Word of God. That's the standard. What about the sentence? The Bible says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the Bible says. The second death. That is a final sentence. A final sentence. There will be no dispute and there will be no argument that day. They will be cast into a lake of fire for eternal damnation and eternal suffering. Not a lack of consciousness and not total annihilation. Not a soul sleep or a purgatorial state, but eternal conscious damnation, the Bible teaches. Why, if we believe that God's eternal destiny for you and I would be eternal conscious bliss, why would we believe that the eternal destiny of those that die without Christ would be anything less than eternal conscious damnation? Truth is, it's nonsensical to think such a thing. This whole idea that the Seventh-day Adventists have about total annihilation, you won't find a shred of that anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere. You won't find it anywhere. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in hell either. You won't find that anywhere. The Bible teaches of a real literal hell and a real literal lake of fire. Literal. Real. The same word that's used concerning fire all through the Word of God is the same word that's used when Christ spoke of going into damnation and hell fire. And on that day, your loved ones will be cast into the lake of fire, except they accept Christ. He said, but I love them, preacher. But if they've denied Christ, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. But they're good kids, preacher. But they're good people, preacher. If they've died without accepting Christ, they'll be cast in the lake of fire. I don't like telling you that. But I wouldn't love you if I wouldn't tell you that. If you're here tonight without Christ, you may be a good person. 
you know good folks die and go to hell all the time? In fact, here's the ultimate paradox. The ultimate paradox is this, uh, that the only kind of people in hell are good people and the only kind of people in heaven are bad people. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, the only kind of folks in heaven are those willing to acknowledge and admit themselves hopeless and helpless sinners in need of Calvary. And the only folks in hell are those that thought they were good enough to make it through works of their own righteousness and have died without Christ, depending upon themselves and their own good works. Oh, yeah, hell's full of good people. We think hell, you know, we think it was made for the Ted Bundys and the Adolf Hitlers. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never intended for mankind. But if you die without Christ right now, you'll die and go to hell. Be plucked out of that torture for just a brief moment to be judged at the great white throne judgment, only to be cast into the lake of fire. That's the sentence that day. You see, we, we've got this thing, we've got this mentality. I don't know, we, we spent too long getting our theology from the funny papers. We think that we're going to die and then there's going to be a big big balance that's going to be set forth, a big set of, of balances, and our good works be placed on one side, and our bad works on the other side. Maybe we'll even her out enough, even edge for it enough to get into heaven. That kind of theology is straight out of hell. There's not a shred of Bible on any of that. Your eternal destiny is shaped and molded and decided by what you do with Jesus Christ. Not what denomination you go to, not what type of baptism you've had or if you've ever been baptized. Not the amount of charity work that you do. Not the good-heartedness that you exhibit towards others. What have you done with Jesus Christ? That will determine what He does with you. If you've rejected Him on that day, He'll reject you. He'll cast you into the lake of fire. He'll, uh, you'll be bound hand and foot in chains and cast for eternal damnation. And that's only fitting, for you've rejected Him. Now He's rejected you. I find one more thought that I want to close with. We've said a word about the seen. We've said a word about the sovereign. We've said a word about the subjects and the standard and the substance. And the sentence. But can I say a word tonight about the spectators on that day? Preacher, what do you mean, spectators? There's a thought that occurred to me a long time ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. Where will you and I be on this day? Where will you and I be? Some would say, well, maybe God's already sent us back onto earth. And yet we find that earth fled away. Maybe we're in eternal bliss in a heavenly state, but we find that heaven has fled away. From whose face heaven and earth have fled away. You and I are going to be there that day. As spectators and as witnesses. Oh, we all consider the judgment seat of Christ as believers as a time that Christ will look at us and say, well, why didn't you witness to this individual? Now, I don't know where we get our carnal thoughts, but we just get it in our mind that, I don't know, be a big projector play in a big movie of our lives, and God, Christ will point at things that we've done and say, what about this? What about this? What about this? But the other side to it is this. There will be times when we stand on that day and I'm sure there'll be individuals that will appear before the Lord and say, I never had a chance. And I would imagine, you let me use a little sanctified imagination. I believe it's scripturally correct tonight. 
I believe that you and I will be called to bear witness that we did tell them the truth, that we did give them the gospel, we did pray for them, that we did try to reach them. You see, on that day, you'll be there, and I'll be there. If you've been born again, I know I have. If you've been born again, won't be there to be judged, but we'll be there to bear witness. What's it going to be like? Say, preacher, what's your motive? What are you driving at? I'm trying to get us to understand twofold. If you're lost without Christ tonight, I'm doing everything I can to keep you from going to that place to be judged. I'm trying to get you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And to call upon Him, lest you should find yourself in a place of judgment on that day. But I know it's a Sunday night. I know most folks in this place, whether it is true or not, most everyone would tell me that they're saved, probably everyone. You and you alone, between you and the Lord, know whether that's true or not. But I would almost guarantee that there's none of us, not a one, that don't have somebody that we love that's on their way to hell. Probably not a one of us. I've got folks I love dearly. Folks that I cherish and care about. That if they were to die right now, they'd die without Christ. By their own testimony. What am I doing to reach them? What what are you doing to reach them? What are you doing to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You say, oh, preacher, they wouldn't listen. There was a time you wouldn't have listened till the Holy Spirit of God softened your heart and you accepted Christ. Well, just understand, whatever you do on that day, you'll be there. You'll be there. You'll be there to watch as they're bound in chains. You'll be there either to speak up and testify that you in love witness to them. Or you'll be there to sit in silence, knowing that you've done nothing. You see, it's after this the Bible says that God shall wipe away all the tears. Well, I believe there'll be tears. Can I be honest with you? There's folks that have left this world that I have every reason to believe have left this world and died and went to a devil's hell that God had given me open doors to be a witness to. But I was too selfish to be a witness to them. I'm I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I was too wrapped up in my own issues. Too worried about these silly temporal things that occupy our mind. And let opportunities slip by that I could have been a witness. One day, I'm going to stand... I'm going to have to watch those folks bound hand and foot and cast into a lake of fire. I know that tonight. Do you know that tonight? I'm face to face with that truth this evening. Are you face to face with it? What about that coworker that you've got? What about them? You know the one that I'm talking about, the one that God's burdened your heart with. What about them? What about that family member that you've got That God opened a door of utterance with them and a scope of influence. What about them tonight? What about that neighbor? 
What, what about that? What about your bank teller? What, what about what about your barber, ladies? What about your hairdresser? What, what about those folks that you come into contact with that God has burdened your heart for them, but you've let your flesh dominate you time and time again when you had opportunity to witness? That's fine. That's your choice. But one day you'll watch them bound hand and foot. You say, preacher, they wouldn't accept him. Well, first off, you don't know that. Secondly, maybe they wouldn't. But it doesn't change your responsibility. What about them? What about that person that God brought to your mind as I preached this message tonight? And you could see their face as vivid as if it was right in front of you. What about that person that your heart has been beating rapidly all this service tonight? As you thought about them and the danger that they're in. If they were to leave this world right now, they'd leave it without Christ. What about them? What about them? you got two choices. You can either put them out of your mind. You can go out those double doors. And you can do whatever you've got to do to distract yourself from their need of Christ. Or... You can be willing to let your heart break for Him. And you can find yourself at this altar and lift their name up to the throne room of grace. You know, it could be if you don't pray for Him, they got nobody praying for Him. I don't know that, but that's a real possibility in this day that we live in, don't you think? I wonder tonight who God's burdened your heart with. And I wonder if you love Him enough to spend a moment in prayer and to be willing to commit to try to be a witness to Him the next door that God opens for you to do so. You'll be there that day, as will I. What will it mean for you? What will it mean for me?